need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast where we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's films in chronological order. My name is Jeff, and with me, as always, is Eric. Hey! How's it going, Jeff? Yeah. Whoa! Sorry. Coming in hot! Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just told you I overslept. <laughs> you can't come in that hot. Um, yeah, well, here we are, rolling towards the tail end of Spielberg's films, and we are running to... A big friendly giant, the BFG from 2016, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg, based on the book by Raoul Dahl. It stars Mark Rylance, returning actor from uh, Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies. Yep. We'll see him again before the end of this series. Um, Ruby Barnhill and my favorite, uh, Jermaine Clement from the Flight of the Concords duo. Uh, someone that we've mentioned before, and a nearly absent Bill Hader. Right, like uh, I was still, the, I was unable to detect where he was. I was, act, he was, I was actively keeping an eye out for him, but he's just one giant among the giants. Yeah, like what a waste. Yes, what an absolute waste. And alas, that is not my only complaint. Um, what is your history with the big friendly giant? Did you read the book? No. Did you see the film? Yeah, okay. So uh my my rolled doll history is actually kind of spotty. I was a big Charlie and the Chocolate Factory guy as a kid. I must have read I had that book. I must have read it like ten times as a kid. Um I tried to read the Great Glass Elevator and bounced right off of it. I was like, this is not yeah. this is not as good as the Chocolate Factory. And then, like, a lot of the other stuff, like uh, James the Giant Peach, Mr. Fox, like, all that stuff, I never, I don't I don't think I really even knew some of that stuff existed until the film came out. And same same with the BFG. Uh, uh, it's funny, because I was looking online, and uh, the BFG is considered, like, the number one all-time favorite Roald Dahl book. Like, on all the lists of, like, the ten best yeah. Roald Dahl books, BFG, number one. Never heard of it until this till this film came out, and it could be because it was published in '82, so I was already like 10 years old at that point, which means I was near the tipping point of not paying attention to children's literature right. anymore. Like I was already reading like Stephen King and stuff like that at that age, and of course picking up your favorite novelizations of films you couldn't go see. Right, of course, yeah. Um, so if my uh elementary or middle school library didn't have this i wasn't likely to be aware of it or see it um so anyhow so yeah then uh the film came out i was vaguely aware of its existence um i'm usually kind of a sucker for for disney uh live action films and especially steven spielberg it would have got me into the theater but for whatever reason it did not um around this time i was a member of that disney blu-ray club where the, I, what is that? Oh, it's awesome. Well, it was, it was still probably awesome. I quit uh, when Disney Plus came around. But um, essentially, the way it works is you pay a membership fee, 
and it's like, I don't know, 25, 30 bucks a month or whatever. And then every month, it's like Columbia House. Every month they send you a Disney Blu-ray, right? And it's, okay. it's usually like the super deluxe version, which is how I got a lot of my 3D Blu-rays because they would always send you the 3D version of stuff. Um, okay. So anyhow, uh, they sent this and I, I dutifully watched it. And I also ended up with a bunch of other films that I'm not terribly fond of, like uh, Into the Woods and <laughs> some other some other ones that are just kind of like mediocre Disney films. But uh, I I did watch this, and I remember I, I I was just like, "What the hell is that? Like, what? Why? I I don't want to finish this, you know? Like, it was one of those things where it's just like, how long ago was that? eight years i don't know however long it came out on video like they usually would send them like as soon as they came out on video you know you would get the new release that month or whatever um so yeah uh and then i obviously did not go back to it since the the blu-ray has been collecting dust amongst all the other blu-rays and uh and this is the first time that i have revisited the film since then how about you i am vaguely familiar with the story there are beats of it that really hit like i don't remember ever reading it i debated with reading it for the pod um but then i saw it was like 200 pages i thought it was going to be like a typical roll doll where you you've got pictures and you can finish it in an hour um but not the case uh, but i think i've seen other uh, renditions of this story what do you call them other adaptations, adaptations. um of this story before because I, I i really remember the scene of them leaving and sneaking around the giants um i remember that from something else either a book or another version of the the another film uh, but that's about it. I'm not a Roald Dahl guy. You know, I've I've never really read any of his books outside of maybe The Giving Tree. Um, and that's Shel Silverstein. That's Shel Silverstein. Okay, there you go. Wait, <laughs> so which one's the anti-Semite? The uh, Roald Dahl. Okay. So, no, I've not read any Roald Dahl then. Um, so that sums that up. Maybe that's why I thought that with The Giving Tree, I'm like, oh, these will be short books. So I could just pick it up and go. No. So, um, I have no desire to ever watch this and would never have watched this. Um, but we're doing a podcast where we watch Steven Spielberg films. So I had to. Okay. And, uh, let's just get right to it. How was that for you? Boring. I had to take a break about 40 minutes in. I, I turned it off. I said, I'll come back. I just can't right now. I can't. And here's the thing. I'm watching it while working. It was so boring, I had to take a break from working. <laughs> like it just was <laughs> so dull. And I I mean so at the beginning, I'm a little bit hopeful because there's the 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 moment early on where there's like the four ruffians out in the middle of the night and she opens up the window. She's like, "Oi!" you know and yells at them i'm like this kid's got spunk there's something that you know she's not taking any shit from these street urchins or whatever like she's i'm like okay cool and then that's about it yeah the the hopes of jermaine clement one of my favorite comedians and bill Hader. at least jermaine clement's in the film 
is like it doesn't do anything. So next week we're gonna go ahead and watch. <laughs> I just can't. This movie it commits the ultimate sin in my book and just being flat out boring. It competes with uh, what's that one? Rising Sun, the one I hate. Empire of the Sun. Empire of the Sun. It competes with them for being boring. And I don't know which one is longer, but that one is the worst of the two films. So I had a similar experience. I, I sat down to watch this, um, and I literally stopped halfway through and wandered out. My wife was working out in the back room, and I wandered out there, and I was like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can get <laughs> I don't know if I can go back. She's like, you got to go back. I'm like, ah, I'll go back later. And so I gave it like an hour, hour and a half, and I went back and sat down and finished it up. But, man, this movie was such a slog for me. And and I I don't really have a full comprehension as to why. Like, I have a hard time putting my finger on it. It seems like the sort of thing I would like. I love Mark Rylance. I found his character charming. Like, the character itself is charming in the film. But, damn, like, nothing happens in this movie. And the stuff that does happen, like... I just got so sleepy. Like I was like zoning out. I was staring at the pictures on the walls. Like I'm never the one that'll pull out my phone and look at it during a film. Like never. I consider it to be almost sinful. Damned if I didn't pull my phone out and start like flipping through Twitter just to see what was going. Like I, I just could not lock in on this movie. And it got to the point where like usually before we do the podcast, about 90 minutes beforehand, I sit down at my computer and that's when I do like a lot of the research. Some of it I do the night before yeah. and then the rest of it I do right before we get on. So it's fresh in my mind. And again, I wandered out to my wife and I was like, this movie's so boring. I don't even want to research it. Like, I don't even want to know how it was made or like, like it just didn't work for me on almost every level. Like it's not one of those things where I even have strong enough emotions about it to say that I dislike it. I just don't care. Like, I just don't care about this movie. And, I, like, clearly, a ton of work went into it. Lots of craftsmanship, lots of special effects, years worth of animation by hundreds of talented people. I don't give a shit. Like, I'm sitting there watching. There's some really interesting visuals, but yeah. Yeah, it it was just so hard for me to pay attention to. And I I guess, I mean, I guess I'm just not the audience for this. Like, I I looked at... No, bro. No. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't sell yourself short. Listen, this isn't a, a case of you're not the audience. This is just a boring film. Because... You and I have watched kids' movies. Yes. Or uh, things. and Loved them. Yeah. Right. I've put on any number of Pixar films. We're, we're happy. We're good. This movie just isn't interesting. The critics is the problem. Critics seem to like it okay. It's got a 74 on the tomato care. meter. Well, I'm just saying. Like, like <laughs> there is an audience for it out there somewhere, right? Like, a lot of people sure. found it interesting and charming. And maybe it's that they have history with the story. I... I don't know. So, I mean, obviously the story didn't work for me. I I I I just I didn't give a shit about the kid. 
I didn't give a shit about yeah. the giant and his like problems with the big giants. Um, I found all the fart stuff. Like I know it's from the book, but I was just like, "Come on with this fart stuff!" Like, oh, the the drink that fizz. I, so I like the drink that fizzes down. I thought that was a cool magical touch. Like in a a better film, that'd have been like a fun touch. Like in Harry Potter, oh, the bubbles go down, you know, and just the world being just a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, but in a big way, I think like you could have done some of that. My, so the the core problem. And the main issue is that I don't buy the friendship between the BFG and Sophie. It doesn't work. I, um, I would agree with that. Yes. It, like she isn't developed enough as a character for us to understand why she latches onto the BFG so well. And the BFG, his motivations don't make any sense. He so he essentially kidnaps Sophie at the beginning of the film. And says he has to keep her so she doesn't tell people that there's giants. And eventually when she's in danger, she takes him back, takes her back and is like not worried about the giants. Okay, maybe that's fine. But the issue is that he had already done this once before and a kid died and he's doing it again. Yes. And, and I can't. And he clearly understands that she's going to be in danger. The other giants can smell her and they will want to eat her for sure. And then he's like, we got to get you out of here. And it's like, no, damn it. You just brought her here. Like, yeah, it doesn't. You're right. It makes no sense. You know, like just the, the, the inherent core of the story as minimal and kind of boring as it is, doesn't make any sense. And you're right about Sophie as a character. Like we have zero stakes in this kid at, the beginning of the movie she's in bed at the orphanage we get to see nothing about her life in the orphanage why she doesn't like it you know she kind of complains she told that yeah, the she complains. yeah but it's nothing relatable i mean she's really mean but we never see why she's mean the the, the person who runs this place which i believe her you know but it for a movie okay couple things this movie should not have been two hours long. Oh, God, no. Oh, Jesus, no. You could have easily hacked like 40 minutes out of this movie and had an 80-minute movie and still probably I bored me. I think you could have done an, uh, a 45-minute TV special where it's uh, with commercials, it's an hour long. There are so many moments of just them hanging out, right? And then... They get to the queen's place and then just having this big meal that just keeps going, you know. Um, uh, Yeah, okay, so it needs to be shorter. But even with that extended length, like I get when things get adapted and you have to build them into a runtime. I don't get when The Hobbit gets adapted and you make it into three really boring movies. But if you're going to extend it, maybe fill it up with why the situation she is in build the character a little better but none of that time is used in any other way than maybe to show off some special effects yeah i think like one of the problems that i really had with this movie is that there's no sense of fun there's no sense of fun in this movie like nothing that happens is fun the only like brief moments of fun are when the giants do that thing with the cars and trucks and even that doesn't really play super well but yeah. like, like I'm thinking in terms of like 
Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, both versions, right? Um, which, you know, the Tim Burton isn't fantastic, but it still has its moments, you know, like it's just darkly funny and stuff like that. That new Matilda film on uh, Netflix is stellar. It is so fun and funny and weird and mean. And like, like it has almost everything I would want in a kid's movie, you know, in, yeah. in, in this film, there's no, there's no, I don't know, like the, the only attempts at fun are the farts. Like the giants themselves, and they don't land. And I know you're not a fart joke guy. I am, but these are not good fart jokes. No, yeah, like it just it was, yeah, it was just weird and kind of cringy, you know. Like in, when he brings out the stuff at the Queen's place, I was like, oh please God no! Like I actually said it out loud, I'm like oh please God no, don't do this. Like not, just don't. And then of course you know they do. They do. Um, but like most of it just feels like them hanging out in the giant's tree like they're they're yeah. just hanging out in there and he's going on about dreams and the sleep and he can hear people breathing and all the creepy things that he does and like i was like what why this is not interesting or fun like they are just literally hanging out they are just hanging out and talking this entire time and like i said i really enjoyed marco rylance's uh, performance. Yeah, his- like I want to see that giant in a different movie, right? Like eh, <laughs> it's kind of ruined for me, but I get you. Like he, it was clearly him, you know. Like when when he, well, it looks like him. Yeah, they, you know, they did the facial mocap, and it looks like Mark Rylance just with exaggerated features. Yeah, no issue whatsoever with his performance. It's like everything that's kind of around his performance. Um, we'll get into his performance when we get to Ready Player One. Prepare your butthole for some <laughs> real garbage. <laughs> but anyway, in this movie and in our previous Mark Rylance film, he was great. So I want to ask you, how did you feel about the special effects? Uh, I really like a lot of it. Like, I think that is definitely the highlight. I really like the cucumber thing that he eats when he cuts and it's got like the little worms and stuff. It's not really worms, but it looks like worms. And it's just like gross. And I really like that. I thought that was just a nice little piece of world building um, <laughs> that our giant is a vegan and he's, <laughs> you know, eating this stuff. Um, it, I think from a, a visual perspective the they are well made but they are not fantastical enough for me like a lot of the stuff is just like a drab treehouse that he's in right there's not a ton of color and pop i mean you've got the dreams that fly around but they're just little balls of light with no real creativity or ingenuity put into their design they're just woo look at that yeah i like um, i liked the moment where they stepped down into the water and they like flipped oh, upside down into the dream world or whatever when he jumps in that was one of the highlights yeah that for was sure. one of like the few moments where i kind of perked up and went oh this and is- we're literally talking about two seconds of film yeah well, we were like oh hey something happened <laughs> oh, oh, oh in any other movie it'd have been like no big deal i i felt like the the BFG himself at times fell into uncanny valley territory. Like, yeah, it, it, it just seemed not quite right. And I mean, obviously 
I don't know how these special effects were made and these people probably worked really hard, but there are times where like, it just doesn't look right. And the interaction between the real life girl and the BFG doesn't look right. And there are certain moments where you can really obviously tell that they flip to a digital kid, right? Like, Oh, that, that kid is digital. And then he puts her down and then you can see almost the scene where they like plug in the real kid again. And like, it, it just made me feel like, the whole film maybe should have been animated like instead because there are huge chunks of time where the kid is the only real thing on screen you know like everything else is digital the background is digital like it's all fake and it made me feel like why didn't they just animate this kid like why is this not just an animated film even the scenes in london the kid is clearly the only thing real on screen like outside the orphanage like she's she's green screened onto that brick road with digital buildings behind her the orphanage itself is clearly not real you know it's like her and the cat are the only real things on the screen and it made me think like why why not just go all the way and just turn this into a cartoon you know yeah i I think part of the problem with the the uncanny valley with mark rylance's giant is he kind of edges too close to real whereas when you get to like jermaine clement's giant he's way more exaggerated and so you never hit that uncanny valley. Yeah. Because he feels like a cartoon character. Um, what a. I, the, the fact that Jermaine Clement is in this movie makes me sad because, like, he could have been used so much better. Bill Hader and Jake, Jermaine Clement in the same movie? Give it to me. What happened? You, those other giants are non-characters. There's too many giants to start with. Yes. There's too many giants. You can't tell them apart. They don't have any character traits whatsoever that are clearly communicated. So it's just this gaggle of giants. They might as well be fucking pigeons. Like, you just can't tell them apart. Like, And, and so when all the giants are on screen, it's just like moving images that have no meaning you know like like i just don't care i don't know who any of them are you know except for jermaine clement and he's the only one that sticks out and even he is drab and uninteresting the only interesting thing about him is that he likes to eat beans you know (laughs) he likes to eat humans and that's his character trait he likes to eat humans and he's kind of gross and he's kind of dumb and that's it, you know? And so as a result, like most of the time those giants were on screen, I just wanted them to go away. Like when they were like busting into his, uh, his area, you know, and sniffing around for the little girl, I was like, just get rid of them. Just like, get out. This whole sequence is going on for way too long. Yeah. They're clearly not going to eat the kid. Just get rid of them, you know? because uh, uh, they're not they're not giving me anything you know i i just don't and care in that scene the bfg finally stands up for himself and gets the hot poker and chases them out and that should be like a big moment of yeah he's he's getting some self-esteem and he's standing up for himself finally and you just like yeah yeah i mean that, that's <sighs> so apparently there's a subplot that just they don't even talk about it's like mentioned once or twice in passing that children are missing from orphanages and that the giants are doing it. Yes. And it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And even to the point where I'm wondering if, 
are they just talking about Sophie's missing and that's what they're writing about? And it just wasn't clear to me, but it, it, just through the context of eventually getting through the story, the reason that they end up going to London and going after the other giants is because they are giants are wandering into town and eating children. I think we needed to see it. I think we needed to see the giants. eating. Like, I know this is a kid's movie. <laughs> I know it's a kid's movie, but you can do it tastefully, though. Like you can make, go so far as to see the hand going in and going over the child and then cutting away. Like you can, you don't have to. Oh, no. You know, no, I Jurassic want to see Jurassic Park. Park. Yeah, yeah, I totally I absolutely want them to like pick up a kid by its legs, have the kid just screaming its eyes out and the giant bites it in half and then just chews and you can hear the bones crunching. Like, I think we need to see it. This is the man that wanted to kill Gizmo. <laughs> well, I mean, I, OK, so I'm exaggerating, obviously, <laughs> but I, I feel like there's Izzy. There's no the the giants are not built up as villains. You know, like yeah. there's supposed to be this thing that's going on. And so when they do get defeated, it's kind of like in a really quick scene at the end that doesn't feel like it has any stakes whatsoever. And the whole thing's just kind of like a shrug. Like, oh, okay, they carried him off and they put him on this other island. I guess our yeah. giant doesn't have to deal with those dumb giants anymore. But like, as far as like, and they'll stop killing children, it's an afterthought. It's almost like, right, a, like because- not even a thing. Exactly. Because when they start going in there, I'm like, what do they do? Like, because the, the biggest thing that the giants are guilty of is being bullies. Right. They bully the BFG. Yeah. But the military is coming in now <laughs> to kill what I thought was going to be kill off this, you know, group of giants. They don't end up killing them because it is a kid's movie. Eric would have loved to seen it. But, you know, I'm just like. It didn't make sense because the the story of the other kids going missing is so not in the movie that it it, it did not work for me. Well, I mean, and, and nobody really even reacts to it. Even the queen, when they tell her, like, the giants are coming and eating children, she's just like, oh, pish posh, let's have a meal and figure out what to do. Like, nobody's like, yeah, they, wait a minute, they have they're a eating the kids? They're actually eating the kids? Like, that seems like a big deal to me. <laughs> like, you're eating our children? Like, we really have to do something about this, you know? And instead, it's handled in this kind of, like, light, goofy Mars attack sort of way. And uh, I just I, I just didn't feel like any of it had any weight or stakes or yep, any, I agree. anything. Like, like, the whole point of having... There's a meanness that needs to be present in this story for it to work, right? Like it has to have, it has to be mean, and it's yeah. too nice. This this the way the story is presented is just too nice, and and it, like it's hard to even like see our hero the BFG as the good giant versus the bad giants because you never see the bad giants doing anything other than like slapping a kick me sign on his back you know like it's they're they're mean to him but that's it yeah you know like you don't and the, get and the the good giant has kidnapped a kid and will be holding her hostage for life for life you know for the rest like of her life the, so the difference between the two is minimal which she seems you know? vaguely irritated at you know like oh yeah i'll be here for the rest of my life i guess oh <laughs> you know like- well so she has no established relationships at home so i would say the reason this movie just if i had to 
distill it down to one thing is the reason this movie doesn't work is because there are no relationships. Yes. The relationship between the BFG and Sophie is paper thin and it doesn't work. And it's like the I only relationship in the movie, really. Yeah. And I don't get why she cares or wants to be around the BFG. He never treats her particularly well. And he doesn't treat her bad, but there isn't anything there. I mean, she mentioned she's lonely, but the BFG is just such a, like, not a great companion and he is mildly annoyed by her and her questions and it just never clicks like they never have that moment where it feels like a real friendship to me and i think that's the biggest problem of all is that i don't care i don't buy them as a duo i absolutely agree i also felt like the world of giants whatever they call it giant country feels very small it feels very, very small for a place where giants live. It kind of seems like they've got this hill and they've stuck a Ferris wheel on it and they've got some cars that they've stolen probably with people in them so they could eat them. And that's it. And they all just kind of hang out on this hill and sleep. And it, like, I got no sense of scope or even anything. Like, it just feels like it's this weird little island where they go to sleep and store yeah. garbage, you know? And so like, there was no sense of like wonder or interest about, you know, we've gone to giant country. It's this mystical land and nobody knows where it is, you know? And there's that scene where he kind of points out on the map where it is off the coast of, uh, of England and, and none of it, none of it hits, you know, like it might as well just be a hillside in Ireland, you know, like, it's just like, it's yeah. just nothing. Like there's just nothing, magical or interesting about it other than that there are giants there and they're kind of dicks yeah we also have the subplot of the whole dreams thing so our our bfg collects dreams somehow and then turns them into other dreams by making recipes and then he has a horn and he shoots dreams into people <sighs> interesting you know it could have been better <laughs> in a better movie like the whole dream alchemy idea is very it's it's cool yeah. like it's a cool idea you know they they can make nightmares and put specific elements in them and you know like it's it's neat and the idea of him kind of creeping around the streets of London and hiding and you know he's got these different methods with which he he prevents himself from being seen so that he can collect dreams and redistribute them and and so on it's all very clever you know but it's so boring in this movie. Like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't pay attention. So yeah. On top of dream weaving, he speaks, he says a lot of words wrong, uh, full schwangers and gobbled bloggers and, and it just wears on you. It just keeps going and it takes any, even in like serious moments, he's doing it and it just takes every, element and just deflates it even more it's just a joke that doesn't hit over and over again yeah i can see why they do the way that you know they were being loyal to the source material or whatever and that's just how roald Dahl writes you know uh everlasting gobstoppers you know and like all that no, like but that's, that's everlasting gobstoppers is iconic 
What are name something he says in this movie that stuck with you? Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what's iconic because I'm not familiar with this book. <laughs> like it might very well be well, iconic. None of it's iconic <laughs> because everyone's heard of Gobstoppers. Every every kid but, in London knows what you know those weird cucumber things are. I don't know, you know, like you do. Oh, do they? <laughs> I mean, they probably they do. Probably but do. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, I just don't know. Like we we're we're un un educated on the cultural impact of rolled doll in England. Like the, there there was a thing that I read that was interesting online this morning where an American went into a British bookstore and was shocked because there were there was a rolled doll section and then a kids section with everything else crammed into it. You know, interesting. like that's the level of popularity we're talking here. So um you know, like people in England, maybe they all loved this movie. Maybe it was just like, oh, someone's finally done it justice. I have no idea. You know, <laughs> like just coming into it cold, uh, you know, without any yeah. of that background, I cannot say that it that it hit me in any sort of way. No. You're being awful nice for a movie where you wanted to see children actually eat. <laughs> oh, maybe it's just not for me. No emotional impact, no investment, no involvement, no desire to ever watch it again you know for sure now i do i'll say when they do start eating i like the you know the 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 details of them bringing him a pitchfork and him stabbing the bread and then mushing it in the eggs of course maybe this is the first time he's ever eaten eggs so he's gonna have tremendous giant diarrhea the next day yeah, I I, but, I thought in general the whole thing picked up a little bit when they went to see the key, the queen. Like at least I was yeah. able to pay attention and not hate on it quite so much. Like when when they we were on the downhill slope, right? We did the the tedious climb, and now at least the end is in sight. Right, and the end itself is so quick, you know. Like yeah, the, they don't, <laughs> which is good. They don't belabor the battle with the giants. It's just boom, boom, boom. Boy, like we he, beat the shit out of those giants really well yeah. and really quickly. Let's haul them off and dump them in no man's land. They didn't need the dream. That was what was thing like. So there's a thing where they build this nightmare to fight the giants, and it honestly doesn't really play into them winning at all. I think the situation would be the same either way. They were asleep, right? Just roll in, do what you're doing, and take them off. Right? Yeah, you're right. They it, like the dream. The dream causes them to behave a little chaotically. But it doesn't really impact the end of what right. goes on. In the end, they're just like all harpooned by helicopters and dragged because off. By the time the drag the the helicopters come in, that dream stuff's all worn off. Yeah, You're- and but before Sophie and the BFG get there, they're all asleep. So just roll in while they're asleep and take them. I I didn't like this. No, I didn't like it either. No, no. I, I don't know. I mean, this is going to be a pretty short episode because I really, I, I, I literally could not come up with anything interesting to talk about with this movie. The only thing that I think like an interesting angle for us to discuss is the current Roald Dahl controversy, which I think is interesting. Are you familiar with this? I only know that he's uh, allegedly an anti-Semite or he said some anti-Semitic things, but that's all I know. Okay, so he's currently in the news, even though he's been dead for 30 years. Um, so, yes, definitely anti-Semitic. And it, it, it's one of those things where he had perhaps legitimate grievances with Israel as a nation 
and there uh, some some uh, war things that happened, right? And he allowed that political dislike of what the nation was doing to kind of bleed into his opinions of Jewish people across the board, right? And so it went from, I'm really unhappy with this thing that Israel did, to Jews control the media, you know, he like went down that, that yeah. rabbit hole, you know? And, uh, and then like stuck to his guns for the rest of his life, apparently. Um, so yeah, not, not great there. Uh, also, you know, there is some, some history of, uh, not great racial imagery. Oompa Loompas are often brought out as the example. Um, in, in the original writings, the Oompa Loompas were like pygmy people stolen from Africa, right? Not, not great. And, uh, you know, lots of misogynistic imagery, you know, so on and so forth. Okay. So that leads us to two or three weeks ago when the company that owns the rights to Road Dolls books and his writings, no longer controlled by his family, they sold the rights to this company had sensitivity readers go through the entire library and change anything that they found to be how would you like that job triggering to a modern audience right so a sensitivity reader <laughs> i just imagine some old lady with doilies in her house just oh gosh someone that Oh yeah, yeah. That sounds like the worst job. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so essentially, like all references to anybody being fat, for example, are taken out, and now they are large. You know, and uh, in any sort of language that uh, anybody could consider offensive was removed from the books for the new editions, right? And was altered, changed. So then people kind of threw a fit and were like, what, what the hell? Like you're, you're changing what this guy wrote history and putting his name on it. And so now they, they have agreed to have two editions, the modern edition and the classic edition, and you can buy whichever one. So they, they kind of like rolled over on it and pulled back on it. Um, But what, what, what do you think about the idea of altering older materials to make them more palatable for the sensitivities of a modern audience. At two frames of mind, I don't know that there's a wrong, although there is, in my opinion, it would be wrong to, to erase the originals from history and deny the problems therein. Right. Um, we've watched movies on this. I've watched, uh, movies for Hitchcock. There's two in particular where, um, I had my friend Kendra come on, who was on our color purple episode and discuss some of the racial imagery in those films. And one of the things I talked about is about, do, do we erase these from history or do we see them as they are as broken pieces of art and learn from them? And she kind of agreed that that might be the best way to do it. I don't agree in general with taking something and changing it right to, to make it more, maybe not more palatable in the idea of erasing it from history or trying to make it, Oh, it's not really offensive anymore. And I think there, and I'll have to find, go back and listen to 
the um, episode called Young and Innocent and The Ring on in this feed. And LeKendra does a much better job of illustrating it. But essentially, like, she says something to the lines of the people who actually try to erase history are the ones who made the mistakes, right? And I think that that's true, right? If you made something racist or sexist, you go, oh, I messed up, and you try to clean it up and everything. I think there's an element of learning from our mistakes and owning up to them. That being said... If you want to make something more palatable for your children, where maybe they're not learning such language, then I, I, I'm okay with that too, right? I, I think it's a gray area. Um, but I just don't think we need to delete what is m- sort of a window into the past of what people dealt with, what was okay back then, because it's how we learn from things. How do you feel about... Uh, Disney and how they've buried Song of the South like they've taken that movie and like really buried it like it is like gone you cannot access it period right like their cleanup job on that was superb I've only seen the film once and it was a video cassette recording of a Japanese laser disc, right? <laughs> like, wow. like, and a guy I know brought it back from Japan with a bunch of other bootleg movies. Um, so it's it's like just like I don't know, like they acknowledge that it exists, they acknowledge that it is racist and awful, uh, but they have completely removed it from availability to the public. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean. So there's a counterpoint to that, right? I don't know that they should sell it, right? <laughs> and make money off of it. Um, But I think it, it's kind of a gray area. I mean, we have um these things that are readily available. And I think our archives and things being preserved is important. And I think there are probably versions of Song of the South out there if someone wanted to go get they could probably find and, and watch it. Um, and I mean, I don't think they should put the movie on Disney Plus. No, no, I don't either. I don't think that's a good idea. <clears throat> like, they so do have I, a lot of culturally insensitive stuff on Disney Plus, and they've got a really nice disclaimer that they put at the beginning of it. Yeah, it's just like, we were watching the It was wrong the then, and it's wrong now, and watch it through that filter. You know, it's, it's yeah. essentially what they got. And I think that, I think that's the I think that's the right way to do it, and I think that's a good way. To, like I was watching the Aristocats, and it comes on. I'm like, what's wrong? I don't remember with the Aristocats. And then later on, you see why, and you're like, oh, okay. And you just kind of acknowledge that that's there. That's something we did. I think the the problem with Song in the South is like wholly problematic. It's like I'm I've not seen it, but isn't it like about a slave who just loves being a slave more or less yeah like and then tells these folk tales which in the which are themselves problematic you know like yeah brer rabbit goes and falls into the tar and becomes the tar baby you know like it's not great yeah. it is super not great and yeah i mean i i can see why they were like oh no too much too much like no disclaimer is going to take care of this 
too much. Yeah, um, and I it, that and I guess is very gray. That said, right? and I there's there's a difference between that, which was a work of a collective group of people and a company, and the words of a single author who is historically acknowledged to be problematic. Right. Um, I. I I, it's funny because I'm okay with the song in the South burial, but I have a real knee jerk reaction to them altering, altering the rolled doll stuff. Uh, and, and then not long after that, RL sign came out and said, Hey, they changed some of my books too. Like, and he's still alive. And he was like, they went through and took the word fat out of all my books. <laughs> they didn't even okay, tell wait, me. Stop. They didn't even tell Let's me. Let's curb for a second. <laughs> We're pulling into a pit stop. I'm a fat guy. And never. And I know, and I grew up in a family of fat guys. And I know fat guys. And not one of them has ever once been offended by the word fat. (laughs) Ever. In the history of cinema, literature, anything. No, who's offended by fat? Skinny people are. Every like I get like when you take out racial slurs that actually offend the people group that they are levied towards and but f- I've never been offended by an actor in a fat suit. I don't care. <laughs> like it's just fine. But it that's I it's just a pit stop that annoys me. <sighs> We're so oversensitized. And the thing is, too, is that it's going to change again, right? In 10 years, it's going to change again. And we don't need to be coddled. Like, if you take that stuff out, I can't have a... Like, so many times the conversation I have with my kids are when things get presented to them that I maybe wasn't aware was happening. Uh, a good example is um, gay marriage. And my son was playing Stardew Valley. And he's like, oh, I could marry another boy in this. That's weird. And my wife sits down and is like, well, that can happen in real life too. He goes, oh, okay, we just move on. You know, like it just let that natural thing happen. But... I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think for me is like if if I, I give my son, a, a, he's read Harry Potter, right? And then if he somehow happens upon um, J.K. Rowling's writings on trans people, we can have that discussion and say, well, son, is that something you agree with or disagree? And, and just kind of use that as a teachable moment and, you know, uh, to say, hey, here you are, you're reading this book that you really enjoy, but that doesn't necessarily mean you agree with everything that the author says. Or, you know, and, and so I don't think having those things in culture really is a bad thing. I think the difference maybe between Song of the South and what was the one Nazi propaganda film that's. I don't There are so many. Birth of a Nation. Well, so, like. That's the one. So that's different, right? That is sole purpose is to be a piece of propaganda. That one's more clan-based, I guess, rather than Nazis. But yeah. yeah, Sure. 
and 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 yeah, those should be buried. And but I think also we can acknowledge their existence and the harm they caused. But I think something like basketball. Okay, there is a um, transphobic section in that film. I don't think they should cut it out. I think we can learn from it and move on, right? And, you know, I as many times as we've seen things like, ooh, that's problematic, ooh, that's problematic, none of it should be cut out, in my opinion. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm re-watching The Gilmore Girls with my daughter, who's 10, and we're watching the series in its entirety, like every single episode. We just watch an episode every night before she goes to bed. This is maybe 15, 18 years old, the, the seasons that we're watching. And some of the shit that comes flying out of their mouths in that show is jaw-dropping by today's standards. You know, and this is only 15 years ago. But, uh, like, there are some real, real, like, holy shit, did she just say that? Like, <laughs> moments on that show. But you're right. Like, standards change. And they change They've changed a lot from the time that Roald Dahl was writing these books. Now, obviously, I'm not going to endorse his anti-Semitic views, right? right? But uh, so I found a list. So it, uh, language concerning weight, mental health, violence, gender, and race have been either cut or re- rewritten. So there's a lot of like uh, that guy was a nut job, or this person was crazy, or, or whatever. Yeah, and and they changed the word crazy to wild or something, you know, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a slippery slope, right? Like, it's a slippery slope. It's, it's like the Huckleberry Finn question, you know, like the banning of Huckleberry Finn and so on. And it, because it, it uses language that was standard at the time and is like heinously offensive now, right? And should, should modern audiences be exposed to that? Um, and I, I always come down on a firm like, yes, yes, because that was what it was back then. And and you're yeah. right. It's a learning thing. It's it's something that that it, uh, you know, you have to know what was so you can know why things are the way they are now and where the culture is moving and and why. I agree. But to, to go so back we- and retroactively alter things. You're getting into George Lucas Star Wars material there, man. <laughs> like, oh, he just made shit worse. <laughs> no, so I'll, I'll point it, and it's another good learning experience, right, is nowadays we're a little more conscious of what is offensive to other people. So I was re-watching Royal Rumble, WWF Royal Rumble 1992 from my other podcast, the as 10 one, Pro as, Wrestling. As one does. We're just going to go back does. and watch the 92 Royal Rumble. Dude. Go watch it and then come back to me. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Don't start talking shit. No, make your point. Make your point. Maybe I need a Um, crash course. But yeah. Um, But there are things on commentary. There's a wrestler by the name of Tito Santana that comes out and one of the commentators says some problematic racist shit. And I'm like, the learnable moment for me is like, I never noticed. Like it was fine back in 92 when I was watching this and it just kind of shows you is like for me is like how long people were having to deal with this and us not even noticing. Yes, that's exactly that's that's part of my point with the Gilmore Girls is that my first time through watching that show when it was new. That shit just whizzed right by me. Like, I didn't even 
for a second yeah. think about it. Yeah, you're right. And we can learn from that, right? And and we can say, you know, I, I years ago was like, you know, before I got married, I was like, what are women complaining about? That? You know, like what I mean? And then now I've been married and I've learned and I'm like, oh, yeah, they are dealing with long-term, you know, systemic oppression and, you know, like learning that and then going back and seeing it through those eyes, it clarifies things. So I think definitely altering the past is trying to erase it sometimes. And a lot of times, again, I wish I knew off the top of my head the way LaKendra said it, but it's like, it's usually the people who are like trying to hide their past and I don't know that that's a good idea. Yeah, changing the past kind of uh, erases the progress in a way, you know? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, anyway. definitely go back, check out uh, the, the Young and Innocent and the Ring episode. I think I'm going to go back and listen to them again um, to get a better, more eloquent perspective uh, from someone who isn't a straight white guy. Um, <laughs> I, I realize that. <laughs> Uh, so you've able to draw out a little extra time to spend on an episode about the big fucking giant, and I'm glad it's over. I am also I'm- glad it's over. Like, uh, I I didn't realize this was going to be such a speed bump, you know, but it really was. Like, uh, it, it really was. I mean, I wasn't looking forward to it because it isn't the sort of thing I generally get out of bed for. But at the same time. I didn't expect it to just suck the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hurtful. So what do we got next? Next we got uh, the Middle Jurassic World movie with Elliot, right? We're doing a, a bonus episode here next week. Yeah, Fallen Kingdom next week. So even if this episode ends up after being edited a little shorter, worry not. Next week we'll be back with more Dinosaur Boy as we watch um, Fallen Kingdom. And then after that, we get to watch The Post, which I've not seen, but oh. I'm actually sort of excited about. Nice, cool. Because... I thought Ready Player One was next and we were going to fight. Oh, God, uh, no. Uh, we well, got... let me double check. Well, hold on. We got The Post. <laughs> let me make sure, because last time you said that you were right and I was wrong. Um, no, you're probably right. I have no point of reference for this. So, uh, yeah. I, I hope that it, it continues my uh, my theory of Stephen King's maturity arc in that the more adult movies are better the older he gets and the kid movies are worse the older he gets, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, that's holding true. Boy, Ready Player One is after post. All right, all right, all right. So it's coming Woo! up here. It's coming I up. don't want it. I don't, I don't want it. <laughs> I'm looking it forward actually, to I it. Think, I, I actually think it's better than the BFG. But oh, fuck <laughs> yeah, it's better than the BFG. Yeah, I, the I, 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 uh, I have fond memories of Ready Player One, and I'm I'm one of those people who like looked around and was like, why, why do you guys hate this? You know, like did you read the book? Before? We'll I talk did. about it. Next- yeah, okay, yeah. well, stop, 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 stop. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. save it, save <laughs> we'll it, save it yeah. for the movie. That'll, but uh, that'll so, be a banger episode for sure. Yeah, if you want to get more from uh, Eric, you can go to gamingnexus.com. Check out his YouTube channel, Eric Hotter on YouTube, Eric underscore Hotter on Twitter. Follow the podcast at Spielberg Chrono. You can find me on Twitter at Podcast by Jeff. Be sure to check out the movie Draft House and my other podcast, which is at this point over. Um, are about to be anyway uh 10 week pro wrestling crash course and i think that's it so uh, we'll see you next week for fallen kingdom 
Bye, y'all.